open your Bibles to uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, um, and then you can just sort of, just for a moment, uh, lay your Bible to the side as we just sort of do a quick review and uh, introduction, and then we'll dive right into our verses for today, which will be verses 32 and 40. So uh, we will continue uh, our study of Hebrews, and we will conclude today, I trust, uh, Hebrews 11, uh, which, of course, you know as the great Hall of Fame of Faith. Uh, I hope you picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes, and let's begin uh, by looking at the review, which will not be on the PowerPoint, but you do have it in your notes. The Hebrew believers were struggling. They were struggling with the cost of following Christ as they faced severe persecution and martyrdom. At the end of Hebrews chapter 10, they are admonished not to shrink back in unbelief, but to remain faithful to Christ, confident their enduring faith will be rewarded by God. To strengthen their faith, chapter 11 lists example after example of Old Testament characters who demonstrating enduring faith in God against all logic, against all odds, against public opinion, and almost without exception in the face of death. You'll notice I listed all the verses in chapter 11 that allude to trusting God in the face of death. Now, beloved, it is so important for us to understand that Hebrews chapter 11 is not just an inspiring tale of great feats of faith. This chapter was intended to be life and death teaching for the Hebrew believers who had encountered persecution. The many examples of faith given in Hebrews 11 were given to bolster their faith to follow Christ no matter the cost. We too need this teaching today as hostility towards Christianity increases. Christianity and its morality is under attack in our society. It has become politically correct to call good evil and evil good. To embrace biblical Christianity is to put yourself in direct opposition to the direction in which our culture is moving. And since Christians refuse to condone behavior that God's Word condemns, we are labeled as unloving, intolerable bigots. A case in point is homosexual marriage, where the Christian community is being pressured to redefine the definition of marriage or pay the price. And that's just one example of many that could be shared. It is highly probable that the church in America, which was once pampered, will soon become the church persecuted. Will we retreat in compromise to escape suffering, or will we follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 
no matter the cost. And folks, that is not uh, an alarmist speaking. You know, I, I was thinking, we celebrated Aubrey Sasser's uh, 95th birthday yesterday. Can you imagine the changes a person like Aubrey has seen in our culture over the years? What would have been totally unthinkable not long ago is now what? The norm. Just look at the speed in which our culture has deteriorated. So we should anticipate as believers, if this trend continues, we will be persecuted. We will face some of the same choices the Hebrew believers had to face. Look at the introduction in your sermon notes. There are many, and there truly are many, who in error teach that faith in God guarantees health, happiness, and prosperity in life. And if you lack these things, then your faith is lacking. As we come to the end of chapter 11, in verses 32 through 40, the writer emphasizes, again to these Hebrew believers who are suffering persecution, he emphasizes that faith never guarantees a particular outcome in life, but does guarantee God's approval now and eternal reward later. I'll state that again. The writer emphasizes that faith, biblical faith, never guarantees a particular outcome in this life, but does guarantee God's approval now and eternal reward later. See, as much as the writer of Hebrews would like to guarantee the Hebrew believers that they would be delivered from persecution, he knew he could not. Reality is, there are times when God supernaturally delivers His people. But then there are other times when God calls His people to suffer, even to the point of death. This reality is reflected in the title of today's message, which is taken directly from the Hebrews 11 text. Verse 34 mentions those who by faith escaped the edge of the sword. And then verse 37 mentions those who by faith were put to death by the sword. It is not for the believer to determine the outcome, but to maintain faith in God whatever the outcome. Now look now at truths to learn. I want us to look first at four truths that we can learn from these verses, and then we're going to look at four observations and then conclude with four applications. So I trust you have your Bible open to uh, Hebrews 11, and the first point that we want to see, the first truth, here it is, and you get it down in your notes, it's up on the PowerPoint, by faith, believers enjoy great deliverances. By faith, believers do enjoy great deliverances. Look with me at verse Verses 32 through 35a. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, 
became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now, all six of the individuals named lived in a time when faith was scarce. It was the minority opinion. Faith was not politically correct. They all faced impossibilities, but through faith in God, they each won the victory. Gideon's band of only 300 brothers routed the entire Midianite army, who the Bible says were as numerous as locusts, and whose camels could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Barak, with 10,000 men, attacked and defeated one of the great generals of history, Sesra, who had 900 air uh, iron troops, who had 900 air uh, iron troops, a much superior force than Barak. Samson single-handedly delivered the Israelites from the yoke of Philistine slave, uh, being slaves to the Philistines. Jephthah, the illegitimate son of a harlot, an outcast from Israel, was asked to return to Israel to lead the army against the Ammonites. And as he stepped out in faith and trusted God, they were given a great, miraculous victory. Of course, David is well known for his many, many acts of faith, not the least of which was his victory over the giant Goliath. Samuel, along with the prophets, boldly delivered God's word to anyone at any time, regardless of the consequences. The writer also alludes, very obviously, to the supernatural deliverance of Daniel from the lion's den when he says, shut the mouths of lions. He alludes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being delivered from the fiery furnace when he says that they quench the power of fire. And, of course, he refers to the sons of the two widows who were raised from the dead by Elijah and Elisha when he said women received back their dead by resurrection. The point is simply this, God delights in giving deliverance and victories to people of faith. He can do this anytime he wants from anything, sickness, domestic woes, financial crisis, persecution, whatever. Nothing is impossible with God, nothing. But we must also acknowledge that in this life, God has not promised wholesale deliverance at all times and in every situation which brings us to our second truth. By faith, believers endure great sufferings. By faith, believers endure great sufferings. Go back to the text. Verse 35, begin with the second phrase. Notice how this now turns. It says, the others were tortured, not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sown, uh, sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. So much 
for the prosperity gospel. Faith not only empowers the believer to enjoy great deliverance, but also to endure great sufferings. As I mentioned earlier, this is seen most clearly in the contrasting phrases as I, in the title of today's message. By faith, somewhat. Escape the edge of the sword, verse 34. While others were put to death by the sword, verse 37. A great example of this is Acts 12. King Herod arrests James, the disciple of Christ, the brother of John, and he, it says he puts him to death by the sword. Herod then arrests Peter, intending to do the exact thing, same thing to Peter that he did to Herod. On the night before Peter was to be executed, he's in prison, he's in chains, he's sleeping in between two soldiers who were guarding him, as well as a host of soldiers watching over the entire prison. God sends an angel into the prison and miraculously delivers Peter. By faith, James was put to death by the sword, and by faith, Peter escaped the edge of the sword. Both men were men of great faith. Both men were loved by God. Both men were choice servants of God. And of course, later in his life, Peter was crucified, upside down for his faith in Christ. Reality is, the Christian life is a blend of both deliverances and suffering. I would also add, you know, when you examine the contrasting list of deliverances over against the list of sufferings here in these verses, I believe we would all agree it takes greater faith to endure suffering than escape it. And this brings us to our third truth. Look at the third truth, a most powerful truth. The common denominator, the common denominator of faith that enjoys deliverance or endures suffering is both believe God is better than anything life can give or death can take. That's the common denominator in a faith that delivers or a faith that endures suffering. It's that they both believe God is better than anything life can give or death can take. In other words... When you have it all, faith says God is better than anything you can have. And when you lose it all, faith says God is better than anything you lost. You know, the best illustration of this is verse 35. Look at verse 35. It says, women received back their dead by resurrection, referring to the two widows in the Old Testament whose sons were raised from the dead, one by Elijah, one from Elisha. And then it says, and others were tortured, not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. Please notice, faith believes there is a resurrection for believers which is better than the miracle of deliverance in this life. It is a better resurrection. It is a better resurrection than was experienced by the widow's sons who returned to life only to die again. 
bottom line, here it is, bottom line. Bottom line, faith values and loves God more than anything life can give. More than family, more than possessions, more than position or accomplishments, more than ministry, more than life itself. Therefore, faith does not fear what death can take since death ushers me into the presence of my supreme love. The Apostle Paul proclaimed what? For to me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. The single great challenge in the book of Hebrews. Now listen to me now. The single great challenge in the book of Hebrews and the mission of our church is to develop and spread a death-defying passion for Jesus. To demonstrate a love for Jesus that is greater than anything life can give or death can take because Jesus is better than anything life can give or death can take. Go now to the fourth truth. The fourth truth. Approval from God is not determined by whether I enjoy deliverance or endure suffering, but by maintaining faith in God regardless the outcome. Approval from God is not determined by whether I enjoy deliverance or enjoy suffering, but by maintaining faith in God regardless the outcome. In other words, if you're supernaturally delivered, that's not a sign of God's pleasure. At the same time, if you're suffering, it doesn't mean that God is displeased with you. The issue is not the deliverance. The issue is not the suffering. Approval comes by maintaining faith in God, whether you're delivered or whether you endure suffering. Look at verses 39 and 40. And all of these, all of these, those that were supernaturally delivered, all those that had to endure suffering, all of these, having gained approval through what? Their faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. How did the Old Testament saints in Hebrews 11 gain God's approval? Through faith. They each weighed the impossibility of their circumstances over against the impossibility of God breaking His Word, and they chose to put their trust in God, whether it was through deliverance or whether it was to endure suffering. But all gained God's approval. And all gained his approval through their faith. Also notice, verse 39 says, they did not receive what was promised. What's he mean there? Well, in other words, the Old Testament saints in Hebrews 11 never saw the fulfillment of God's ultimate promise, which was the sending of the Messiah. Their salvation looked ahead to what Christ would do. But our salvation looks back to what he has done. Christ's death ratified the new covenant, which the Old Testament saints could only dream of, but is our reality today. Pardon from all sin, a new heart to love God, and God taking up residence in our hearts through the person of the Holy Spirit. This is why verse 40 says God has provided something better for us. We are at a great advantage to the Old Testament saints. And because we're at that advantage, we should have the assurance that if God didn't give, doesn't give the power to deliver, He will give grace to endure. We can trust Him. God's approval, which brings eternal reward, 
again, is not determined by the height of the deliverance you enjoy or the lows of the suffering you endure, but by maintaining faith in God in the highs and the lows in life and in all the in-betweens. Amen? And to be honest, sometimes it's in the in-betweens, the sort of mundane, monotonous affairs and routines of life that often can become most difficult. Well, those are four truths we can learn from these verses. Look at four observations to make from Hebrews 11, verses 32 through 40. Four observations. First, those weak in faith often experience unexpected deliverance. Stay with me, this is good. Those weak in faith often experience unexpected deliverance. In the middle of verse 34, you see the phrase what? From weakness were made strong. Now think about this. All six heroes of faith listed in verse 32 had a flawed faith. Every single one of them. Gideon, if you know his story, he struggled with fear and anxiety. Barak hesitated and had to be compelled by Deborah to go forward. Samson fell to the sexual enticements of Delilah. Jephthah made a foolish vow that marred the great victory that God gave the people. David was guilty of adultery and murder. Samuel lapsed into carelessness in domestic affairs. But despite their flawed faith, despite their flawed lives, when crunch time came, they stepped out to trust and obey God. Now listen, this does not excuse our flaws and deficiencies. It does not. But it should encourage us that God does not wait for us to be perfect. He doesn't wait for us to work out all our deficiencies before responding to our faith. He is a loving Father that meets His child where he or her is. Look at the second observation. Not only those weak in faith will experience unexpected deliverance, but those strong in faith often experience unexplained suffering. These are just observations you can make by just looking at life, looking at the body of Christ. Those strong in faith often experience unexplained suffering. The strongest believer often suffer the most painful and perplexing adversities and tragedies. And we must remember, we must remember as God's people that God never promised that a believer would have immunity from the ills and injustices of this world. But He has promised He will not allow anything to touch your life that He cannot use for your spiritual benefit and to bring others to Christ. That's the promise. Observation. Observation. Having faith is not the ultimate factor in whether a believer is delivered or suffered. But sovereign God, who determines what best enables the believer to know Christ and reveal Him to a lost world. I'll state that again. It's such an important truth. Having faith That's not the ultimate factor in whether a believer is delivered or suffered. Now, I'm not trying to say it's not a factor. I mean, often we miss out on God's deliverances. We miss out on God's grace because we fail to trust. 
we fall back into grumblings and pity parties and we get angry and mad with God. But our faith is not the ultimate factor, but sovereign God. It's sovereign God who determines what best enables Andy Merritt to grow and know Christ, to make him known, to reveal him to a lost world. You know, let me just get very transparent. For, and, I, and I have not arrived. I'm, I'm struggling with this. But the older I become in my faith, I am slowly beginning to realize that instead of seeking a particular outcome, when I hit a time of adversity or difficulty, I need to seek God. I need to seek God and leave the outcome to Him. Now, that's a tough thing to do, but God's trying to drive that into my thick skull and my often hard heart. I have found, and maybe you find, have found this true as well, when I focus on getting a particular outcome, like here I am in time of adversity, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, and naturally, you know, who wouldn't want the healing? Who wouldn't want the deliverance? And I don't think there's anything wrong with praying for the healing or praying for the deliverance. But I think it's important, the attitude in which we do it. Because I find when I, when I focus on a particular outcome, as if I got to have it, instead of focusing on God, that's when I find myself falling into worry, impatience, and disappointment. But when I focus on God, when I truly focus on God, I find peace. I find strength to endure. And then think about it. How can you go wrong? How can any believer go wrong when you leave the outcome in the hands of an all-loving, all-wise, all-powerful God who knows much, much better than I do, much better than you do what we need for spiritual growth? What, how, what we need in order to reach others for Jesus Christ. And I would say that's probably the greatest lesson that God's trying to teach me right now. Andy, don't look to the outcome. Look to me. You know, I believe that was the secret to Paul's life. You know, you look at the Apostle Paul, and uh, you, know, you go to the book of Philippians. He's in prison. And you go to the last chapter, and he talks about the fact that he had learned to be content in whatever circumstance. He says, I'm content in times of prosperity. I'm content in times of suffering. And he says, I've learned to be content because I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. And I think the real secret of Paul's life is actually found when you go back to chapter 1. And we, we alluded to the passage earlier, but let me give you the fuller passage. Again, here's Paul in prison. So you ask yourself, okay, here's Paul. At that point, possibly the greatest adversity he had ever faced in his life. I mean, he didn't want to be in prison. He wanted to be out preaching, sharing Christ. But here he is in a Roman prison, literally chained to Roman guards 24-7. So you ask yourself, how was Paul praying? What was 
what was Paul expecting of God? And this is what this man wrote in chapter 1. He says, this is my earnest expectation and hope. That I will not be put to shame in anything, but that Christ will be magnified in my life, whether by death or by what life? For to me to live is what Christ and to die is gain. You know, here's a great man of faith, and he's saying, I'm just leaving the outcome to God. God knows a lot better than I do what I need, what's best for the advancement of the gospel. So I don't need to focus on an outcome. I just need to maintain my focus on God. And as I focus on God, if God has planted me here, then I'll blossom here for Jesus. I'll be a light in this darkness. And I'll trust that he'll give me the grace to endure if he does not provide the power to deliver. The power to deliver. Look Look at the fourth truth or the fourth observation, the fourth observation. The believer's heavenly reward is not determined by how successful he is in life, but how faithful he is to God's word. The believer's heavenly reward is not determined by how successful he is in life, but how faithful he is to God's word. I love how it says in verse 38 concerning the believers who were literally treated like the scum of the earth, who had nothing in the world's eyes. The world called them losers. God said of them, men of whom the world was not worthy. The world considered them losers, but God considered them heroes. You know, I, I think of my mom, who we lost recently. I mean, here was my mom, a devout believer. Husband abandons her, divorces her, leaves her penniless to face three rebellious kids had to go back to school to learn a trade to be able to survive in life when she died we carried out of her room her only earthly possession her bible and a few clothes Now, folks, the world would look at my mom, and many would say, loser, loser. I mean, what did God do for her? But God says, hero, because in her darkest hour, Sue, Mark, and myself, we saw Jesus. And those three rebellious kids came to know and love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, it's not whether you're successful in life. It's how faithful you are to God's Word, regardless what your circumstances are. That determines your heavenly reward. Now, in closing, let me make just four applications to live by. 
four applications to hopefully live by from these verses. Number one, faith is trusting obedience to God's Word despite circumstances or consequences. And the thing I want to focus there, and I hope you have, this has been driven home to you through our study in Hebrews 11. Folks, there is no true faith without obedience. Faith is the two sides of the same coin, trust and obey. If I truly trust God, that's going to be demonstrated in obedience. And my obedience will be the proof that I've trusted. And the, and the one common denominator that you see in every one of these examples given in Hebrews 11, in every one of these individuals that had a flawed faith, that had flawed lives, is they stepped out in faith and they obeyed God's Word. It wasn't what they wanted, what they had manufactured in their minds is what would be best, but they went to God's Word, they listened to God's Word, and they stepped out and obeyed God's Word. Despite circumstances or consequences, that is true faith. So you need to ask yourself, okay, you say you are a believer. Are you demonstrating that? By being obedient to God's Word? Not just a hearer, but a doer? Or you, can you honestly say that you're building your life on the rock of God's Word? And that you are committed to practice God's Word? Again, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the consequences? That is true faith. Look at the second application. Faith is confidence. Confidence in God's ability to deliver. Because with God, all things are possible. But faith is also confidence in God's ability to use suffering. Because with God, all things work together for good. Isn't that a great parallel? All things are possible with God. So I'm never going to limit God. I'm never going to put God in a box. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still does miracles. He still supernaturally delivers. But then I also have to recognize the parallel truth, that God has the ability to use suffering to cause all things to work together for good. Look at the third application. Faith never, never, or gives in to suffering, but surrenders to God. Believing he knows what is best for me. Faith never demands deliverance. It never gives in to suffering, but surrenders to God, believing he knows what is best to me. Well, for me, true faith gives God the freedom to arrange the affairs and circumstances of my life in the way that he deems best. Again, for my spiritual benefit, to be able to reveal Christ to others. That's faith. See, there are so many that want to say true faith is having all your dreams fulfilled. Again, that health, wealth, prosperity gospel. No. True faith is an abandonment to God. Believing He knows best. Believing I can trust Him. 
because I trust him, I'm going to obey him regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the consequences. And praise God if he brings the power to deliver, but praise God if he doesn't because he's going to give the grace to endure. And then look at the fourth, final application that we've alluded to several times already this morning. Faith does not always remove suffering, but trust God to transform suffering into a tool to work for my spiritual growth and reveal Christ to others. Faith does not always remove suffering. In other words, it always doesn't give me what I want, but it gives me the courage to face what is. And it trusts God to transform the difficulty, transform the suffering into a tool that will work for my spiritual growth and reveal Christ to others. That's one of the greatest acts of faith. When we're suffering pain, when we're totally perplexed, I cannot see any rhyme or reason in this. At that moment, can I trust God? In other words, will I crumble in grumbling and murmuring and pity and depression? Or will I step out in faith and say, God, I may not can trace your hand, but I'm going to trust your heart. And I'm going to believe you. I don't see how, but I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust you that you, even this, even this, as painful, as difficult as it is, you're going to let it work for my benefit, for your greater glory, to reveal Christ to others. And let me just, in closing, let me just add, and I've tried to emphasize it throughout this message, and it's something that's, uh, that's neglected too much. Notice the emphasis on God's desire to use us to reveal Christ to a lost world. See, when we hit times of trial and adversity, and I do the same thing, we tend to become very self-centered, and it's all about me. Well, we need to realize God has a redemptive heart. He has a love for the world. And often, He will let me suffer adversity to provide a platform to reveal Christ to others. I mean, again, he's not here this morning, but we have as great example in this church as you could ever find, and that's the Williams family. Think how God has used the backdrop of his adversity, the backdrop of that family's suffering to so beautifully display Christ, where literally, literally, literally hundreds have come to know Jesus. Hundreds of believers have been strengthened and encouraged in their walk with God. People, God knows what He's doing. And again, God has a redemptive heart. And what does it say in 2 Corinthians 4? He said, God comforts us in what? Our affliction in verse, so that we can what? We can comfort others in theirs. And often God uses adversity to thrust us out to minister others, even to a lost community that otherwise we never would have done. So we can trust God. Amen? Amen? We can trust God. Father, thank you uh, for this precious truth. Lord, I admit, and I'm sure everyone would agree with me here, we wish we could come to your word and it would give the ironclad guarantee that when your child hits adversity, that you will always supernaturally deliver. But Lord, we know that that is not what you have promised. 
Yes, you supernaturally deliver. But there are times when you call us to suffer, to endure suffering, to know your grace, and to use that suffering as a backdrop to make the beauty and the brilliance of Christ known uh, to a lost world. So, Lord, I just want to come before you now in your presence, and I trust my brothers and sisters will come with me as well. And, Lord, I just want to give you the freedom to arrange the affairs and circumstances of my life in the way that you deem best. And I pray that you would do that in this church family. I relinquish the Edgewood family to you. And Lord, I'm going to give you the freedom to do whatever is needed in this church family to capture our hearts for you, to bring us to that place as we were talking earlier of a death-defying passion for Jesus where we would love and value Christ more than anything life can give or anything death can take because we have seen the surpassing value of knowing Him, of loving Him. And Father, give us the grace, even with flawed lives, even with flawed faith, to step out in trust and obey You, knowing that as we do, we not only know your approval now, but we build up for ourselves later eternal reward. So, Father, I don't know of any better way to end this message than to say, we trust you. We trust you. We place our faith in a holy, omnipotent, omniscient, all-wise, all-loving God. Which in his name we do pray. Amen. As the invitation is extended, um, I trust God has spoken. Uh, you can't live on planet Earth long without knowing difficulties and adversities. And I know many of you are struggling in a difficulty or an adversity right now. And I pray God has spoken. And I pray that you'll respond now as the invitation is extended, just right there in your pew where you're at. Uh, just abandoning your life to God, uh, trusting, uh, trusting Him. Not so much looking to a particular outcome, but just focusing on God. And then if He chooses to supernaturally deliver, you praise Him. If He calls you to endure suffering, you praise Him knowing His grace will be sufficient and knowing that He'll use the deliverance or the suffering as a backdrop to make Him known to a lost world to draw others to Jesus, because that is our calling, to walk as Christ walked, to follow in His footsteps, who was wounded, that others might be healed. Possibly you're here and you do not know Jesus, like John Warner Jr. didn't know Jesus a little over two weeks ago. And, uh, and in this message, you see what Jesus offers. Better than anything life can give, more than anything death can take. And, and you realize He loves you. And He came to this earth to die for the penalty of your sin. And He rose again. And He wants to give you the gift of forgiveness. He wants to take up residence in your heart. 
And I appeal to you, invite him in to forgive you. Invite him in to take up residence in your heart as your Savior, as your Lord, to follow him, to trust him, to grow in him. I'll be standing here to receive anyone that uh, has a decision that they would like to share with me or the larger congregation. Uh, possibly uh, God is leading you to unite with our church family. I would invite you to come. So you just stand and uh, let's all respond to however God has spoken to our hearts.